four, three, two, one. What is up? Welcome to Football Life presents the Audible. I am your host, Randy Hammond. Back after a week hiatus, our friend Matt Bushnell. Matt, welcome back. How's it going? I don't know, man. It's uh, it's been a wild day, a wild week. You know, you miss a little, you miss a lot, Randy, and I am just trying to live the dream. Everything is trying to stop me from doing so. <laughs> oh, trust me, I, I know it's been a wild week. I, I think I, I can speak from my own experiences there. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, you live and you learn through life, and life happens, and you get better, and, and you move forward. So uh, we're going to move forward on this show. We're going to break down each and everything that happened in Super Wild Card Weekend and what an amazing weekend of football it was. We're going to preview the divisional round matchups that are in place for this weekend. And we're going to start with some news because we have some of it, Matt. And then this time of year, it's usually transactional news with coaches and GMs. So let's start off with the news yesterday. Kind of surprising to me, the Philadelphia Eagles firing head coach Doug Peterson. Uh, it seemed like to me his job was safe, but it appears to me that between uh, the end of the season, what happened in week 17 with the uh, – the, just the tank job of all tank jobs for the Eagles. Uh, he just doesn't want anyone to tell him what to do, basically, and that's what it comes down to. Uh, and he didn't like uh, – apparently the front office didn't like some of the things that he did. He didn't like what the front office did to him. He completely lost the locker room with some of these vets, so maybe it was a lost cause at that point. Eagles finishing 4-11-1, but overall, five-year span, they made the playoffs all four years, and they had four playoff wins and a Super Bowl win. He was 46-39-1 over five years with the Eagles, including those four playoff wins, Matt. What do you make of this move? Do you think it's a smart move for the Eagles? No, it just goes to instability. Obviously, he was following marching orders. They went with Carson one. That's the path they went down uh, after everything that they've been through. And it's disheartening to see because you really want to make sure that you're going in the right direction. I thought, great. Um, very promising young quarterback. I think we know what Carson Wentz is. And they chose the high-priced quarterback over the head coach. Howie Roseman won control. And I think anytime your front office people start dictating to how the coach coaches, it's doomed for disaster. It, it was, I feel for Doug, but it was time to go. Yeah, I mean, you see some of the moves that he made is certainly unconventional, going for two quite often, going for it on fourth and short uh, quite often, and not kicking field goals that when they tie the game, and just certain situational things that any conservative coach would have just done the opposite of. And I don't mind being aggressive, and I don't mind being different, uh, but when you cost your team game, cost your team games, uh, this is what's going to happen to you in the end. Um, now, Coach Peterson, I think becomes one of the best coaches on the market now, Matt. Do you find? Do you think he's going to get a job here quickly? Because I kind of think he will, whether it be a head coach or an offensive coordinator somewhere. Yeah, I, head coaching I'm not sure about right now because it, it kind of seems like teams are looking to go the opposite direction of what they had. Um, who knows what direction Houston's going to go, but I think he would be a fantastic match with Deshaun Watson there, but that play just seems so toxic. Um Maybe you look at a place like the Jets, which could be an interesting fit, but I, I really don't know if a head coach position is where he should go. I, I honestly believe Eric Bieniemy is going to be a head coach this coming go-around. Mm -hmm. I, I just think it lines up perfectly. And I see Eric Bieniemy ending up 
with probably the Jets or, you know, one of those teams. And De Peterson fits right back into that Kansas City team, mm-hmm. and he, he'll be the next offensive coordinator. Yeah, you kind of read my mind because you've seen reports that Peterson has a relationship with Joe Douglas. So if he doesn't get that Jets job, which it seems like the Jets are all in on Robert Sala at this point, then Eric Bieniemy is going to get a job, whether it's the Chargers job, whether it's the Jaguars job. It could be the Texans job. Who knows? But Eric Bieniemy is going to leave, and then therefore that Chiefs offensive coordinator position opens up, and Peterson can go right back into where he started, and he's going to have an amazing success because he's going to have Patrick Mahomes in that unbelievable Chiefs offense, and he's going to hit the jackpot uh, there. So that kind of knocks off both. Uh, I mean, so, you know, Peterson's gone. So who do you think is a good fit for Philly at this point? I mean, if you stick with Carson Wentz, it kind of changes your mindset a little bit. But if you go with Jalen Hurts, then I think you can broaden your horizon. And I think, you know, a guy like Brian Dayball would be a good fit there. But either way, I think you need to get an offensive guy who's going to try to fix whatever problems Carson Wentz had in 2020. Yeah, I think a guy that comes to my mind is maybe Darren Bevel from Detroit, offensive coordinator position. Um <laughs> Other than that, the name's going back down to uh, Alabama to pair up with uh, Nick Saban as their offensive coordinator. So, yeah. you know, O'Brien could have been a thought if he was not, not the head or the GM. Mm-hmm. I, I think at the end of the day, um, it doesn't matter right now because I think the Eagles, is it's so fractured. You're going to get rid of a lot of your veterans. Um, guys like Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham. Uh, Darius Slay is going to have to go. I, I don't see a lot of salvaging what's there right now. So really you're looking at starting over with Carson Wentz, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But like you said, Jalen Hurts gives you more windows or more opportunities to get other guys. I think they've read the room and realized trading Carson Carson Wentz was not going to be that easy. Uh, ultimately, that contract and how well he played, no one's signing up to take on that contract in that situation. So uh, Doug Peterson and, and Wentz's relationship was fractured, and ultimately they had to make a decision, and that's how you end up here. Uh, I think the Eagles eventually land on their feet, and I think Peterson lands on the, his feet first and will ultimately be more successful because it will probably be with the Chiefs. All right, one of the dominoes fell in the GM uh, carousel, and it's with the Houston Texans. Nick Casario getting the job, the Patriots front office man. Uh, and this caused some controversy with the Texans. Uh, Texans CEO and chairman Cal McNair uh, overgoing the two choices that a firm that he hired uh, recommended. And uh, they, it was the Steelers, Omar Khan, and it was Monday Night Football analyst Lewis Riddick. And McNair at the last minute decided to hire Nick Casario. And I think you and I share the same thoughts where you hire a Patriots front office person or a Patriots coach. Uh, how much of their success is massive to the fact that they work uh, and along with and for Bill Belichick. So for me, Belichick always has final roster control. So I don't really know what Nick Casario did for the Patriots. Yeah, I, that's that's the biggest question I think we both have. <laughs> we know we talked about it uh, pre-show. It's just one of those situations where I don't love what they did. You alienated your star quarterback, your franchise at this point. You let Bill O'Brien trade your best offensive playmaker and DeAndre Hopkins for a bag of nothing. So all to all of these things just tumbling down for them, and now we're stuck with Houston, where our quarterback wants to leave. You have a GM that with the guy that is influencing McNair, 
it just feels like you're going around in circles, and it's a bad situation. I think you trust the football people. You don't trust this Easterby guy who, from what I read, is all sorts of a screwball, and mm-hmm. you just went and you did it again. So, Yep, uh, and, you know, Casario comes in. You think you get the GM job to be the Texan, for the Texans, and you're like, all right, well, at least I got Deshaun Watson. Well, uh, Deshaun Watson's not exactly happy about it. He would would have liked one of the two recommend, recommended GM candidates to get the job. He wanted it to be Louis Riddick or Omar Khan. Uh, Deshaun Watson has been outspoken. He, you know, he said he wants to be traded or he was considering waiving his no trade clause. Uh, he's not happy there. And he's gotten support from former Texans, two, two wide receivers, DeAndre Hopkins uh, and Andre Johnson. Both talked about how Jason Reed is a, is a big problem here. And Houston is known for wasting players' careers. You have two franchise legends. You're not you're in the franchise for very long. But two of the best players you had in your franchise history coming out, supporting your disgruntled quarterback, saying, hey, if you want out, get out now, or your career is going to be just nothing there. I mean, this is a big problem already for a GM who just got this job. Yeah, I don't. So now you have to reassess what is Deshaun Watson's guys that package in return for him, because you screwed up the DeAndre Hopkins trade. You, you didn't get enough in return for that, and now you're looking at a disgruntled quarterback that wants to get out. You have no leverage at this point other than he's Deshaun Watson. And he's a top three quarterback. You know. Deshaun Watson can be like, I'm not playing for this regime. I'm not playing for this guy. I'm, you know, and then he forces your hand and you're stuck in a terrible situation. Bad franchises make bad mistakes over and over and over again. It is no secret how you get to this point. And they have proven the Texans, the Jets, the Bengals, just making poor decision after poor decision. And it, you know what? It is what it is. The Detroit Lions, another one. Drafting three wide receivers in the top 10 three years in a row. I mean, it's not rocket science on what these teams fail to recognize. Right. Uh, so Watson is angry with the Texans for so many things, one of them being the Chiefs, uh, not not interviewing Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy, and then that led to him saying he would consider waiving his no-trade clause to go to the Dolphins in a deal that would cons- uh, include Dolphins quarterback Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, he said he's upset with the current state of the team. Even three-time defense player of the year on the Texans, J.J. Watt, franchise legend, probably the best player in franchise history, was apologizing to Watson at the end of the year saying, I'm sorry we wasted one of your prime years. I mean, Watson's 25 years old. This guy is so legit. He has such a bright future. He had an incredible season. I don't know what the Texans do. My, if my, I'm just trying to see Miami having Deshaun Watson and – Man, I mean, if you're a Jets fan or a Bills fan, and after that run that you just dealt with with the Patriots, you have to hope that does not happen. <laughs> yeah, it goes to the Dolphins, who have a plethora of picks, but it goes back to what are the Dolphins willing to trade to Houston? Um, do they believe in Tua? Obviously, I think wouldn't be opposed to trading Tua and a first-round pick, but I think they're Tua, you're not getting the number three overall pick at that point. I, I just I don't see trading Tua and that. So the Texans are really in a bind here. You get Tua, but then you have nothing to build around, and then it's even worse in Houston than it is in Miami. Like the issue <laughs> I saw with Tua was that he had a hard time looking off receivers. 
uh, you know, just really shied away. Like, get a little hiccup in his delivery. They had to bring in Fitzpatrick to close out games. Yep. You don't know what he is. So, to me, I think Watson would be terrifying for that AFC East if you're not a Dolphins fan. But I think there's so many other avenues for teams to take advantage of trying to get Deshaun Watson. I, I don't think Miami's the only spot. Well, I think if you look at some other teams that you know could be needing quarterback, you look at the team who should have drafted him to begin with, your Chicago Bears. Uh, they're <laughs> going to be interested in a quarterback. I don't know what they could give up for him, but you know they might not take as much as we think if they can get a couple firsts since they don't have any firsts. Um, I think he's worth a couple of first-round picks. I think he sets your franchise up for success for years to come, so you can afford to be without a couple first-rounders if you wanted to go that route. The Pittsburgh Steelers, I think Big Ben uh, – is all but done, and we'll talk about that game in a little bit here. But uh, I, I have a couple San Francisco 49er fans in the group, which they're trying to get away from Jimmy G and the Nick Mullins. Uh, I mean, you get, uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan, any elite quarterback, it's, you know, the sky's the limit for the 49ers, it seems. So I don't blame anyone for really wanting, uh, for really wanting Deshaun Watson. If you're the Dolphins, I would give up both of those first-round picks for Deshaun Watson. You are already so good. You have such a good coaching staff. You have a good defense. You don't have great weapons, but I think Deshaun Watson elevates those weapons already. And to, to me, you get a guy like Deshaun Watson, you're a contender almost overnight. So that, to me, is worth it. I don't know. But you have a lot of teams out there who are going to be trying to get the services of Deshaun Watson. I think every team but a couple should be getting out there trying to get Deshaun Watson. So, I mean, the Texans have a lot of options here if they choose to move forward. And if they want to keep him, I will say – just hire Eric Bieniemy. It seems like that's the guy Watson wants. If you really want to keep this guy and try to make it work, hire the coach that he wants to play for. You already have a guy out there who he wants. Interview him, hire him, and see how far this thing can go. I don't know if Eric Bieniemy is going to be a good head coach, but it's clear that that's who Deshaun Watson wants, and I think you have to make a quarterback happy at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what happens in the next round of coaching hires is going to tell you a lot as to where the trade may go. Um, to circle back, I mean, the Bears are not afraid of making trades like these. They did it with Jay Cutler. They did it with Cleo Mack. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they've been shown to trade guys, but we go back to what do the Bears have to offer? Maybe the Bears package three first-round picks. I, I think that would be stupid. It'd be franchise crippling for a franchise that you basically, Watson might be in the same situation as he is in Houston. So I, I think the most logical fit is that he ends up staying in Houston. I can't see him getting traded because the package that they get back would not equal what they're sending out the door. Uh, they're not a great franchise, as you mentioned. They are a poorly run franchise. So maybe uh, they just move on and live in, uh, live in, in poor uh, poverty for the rest of their, their existence. So we'll see what happens there. But, uh, yeah, enough of these bad teams because we have a lot of good teams, a lot of good football over the weekend. The divisional round is set. Super wild card weekend is in the books, Matt. We're going to do a little rapid fire for these games. I had such a great time. I I'm in quarantine, for those who don't know. I'm not afraid to say it. I tested positive for COVID-19 on Friday. I'm not allowed to leave my apartment. I just sat here and watched football all weekend. It was actually kind of nice. I didn't have to worry about anything. I wasn't feeling too bad, so I literally just laid in bed, watched football. It was pretty glorious. Um Minus the being sick and everything else. Uh, but we're going to start things off with the very first game, which was probably the best game of the weekend, if you ask me. I really enjoyed this. 
the Buffalo Bills escaping the Indianapolis Colts 27 to 24. And, you know, you and I are Josh Allen critics. I've kind of come around to the fact that, you know, he's improved so much because ultimately he had no choice. He really was pretty bad leading up to this point. He made some ridiculous plays before halftime in this game, and he almost blew it in the end. And I guess, all things considered, that is sort of the the Josh Allen experiment here where he's going to make some incredible plays and he's going to do some dumb things where you're just like, okay, we got lucky there, and maybe you won't get lucky always, but you'll take the good with the bad, it seems like, with this version of Josh Allen. Uh, And the Colts dominated time of possession in this game. It seemed like they had their way with the the Bills throughout this game. They they led in the first half. They had so many opportunities in the red zone. They went for a touchdown instead of kicking the field goal. Uh, To me, the Colts lost this game more than the Bills won it, but ultimately that's part of the game, and the Bills did what they needed to do to get their first playoff win in 26 years since 1995 and their first home playoff win in just as long of a time. So good for the Bills, good for Josh Allen. But, Matt, what was your takeaways from that game? I mean, at the end of the day, I'm impressed with Josh Allen's ability to not only keep his team in the game, extend plays, and he really gives you the feeling that we're out of a game. You just never know. He's very explosive. But the Bills' defense is one that's starting to worry me. I don't think this team is built to win a Super Bowl with this current defense, and that's kind of what Sean McDermott is built for. Now you take a look at their, their next opponent. And I believe the Baltimore Ravens are going to create a lot of issues. We saw the Colts be able to run the football on this team. And I think Phillip Rivers is done. You know, that ship has sailed. Now they get to face, um, I'm sorry, Lamar Jackson, who is about the most dynamic runner of the football at the quarterback position in the NFL. Josh Allen looked great. The Bills team, not so much. I hate their run game. They can think that's going to come back to haunt them eventually in these playoffs. And I feel like, you know, against a really good team, Colts notwithstanding, I I, I think they struggle. But Josh Allen is that dude. He, he's that guy. I mean, you kind of saw why I think I was so tempted to pick the Colts as the upset because – they did things that presented problems for the Bills. They ran the ball effectively. They controlled time of possession. They have a quarterback who didn't make a ton of mistakes. Like, I don't think Phillip Rivers played nearly as bad as some people say. I don't think he played great, but I think he played overall enough, well enough to win the football game. Uh, I think he overthrew Michael Pittman a little bit in the end zone there. That, that changes the game, I think, for sure. Michael Pittman also laid out. I don't think he had to lay out, per se, but when it hits your hands, you know, you probably should have caught the ball. Uh, Frank Reich made some questionable coaching decisions. I'm okay with being aggressive. I'm okay with saying, hey, field goals aren't going to win this game. But sometimes you have to understand situations and understand uh, the long-term effects of these situations. Like, not coming away with points there before the end of the half and then the Bills coming all the way downfield, 95 yards and scoring before half is an insane uh, swing <laughs> of a, a turn of events before halftime that it felt like the whole momentum was changed. Hey, Josh Allen uh, played amazing in this game. He had 325 yards pa- uh, passing, three touchdowns. Uh, he'd also get the job done on the ground. The kid made plays. Uh, I think, you know, he had a little bit of a flashback with that fumble at the end. Uh, he very fortunate that bills are able to fall back on it because that, if that fumble happens and the Colts come back down and win the game, that is a brutal, brutal ending to your season. So, uh, regardless, I think if you're a bills fan or a Josh Allen fan, you have to look at the season so far as a success. You wanted to come in here and make it past the first round of the playoffs. And here you are. So good on you for that. 
Um, one question before we move on. You think Philip Rivers is done, so you think he's going to retire now? Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people said he didn't play bad this last game, but the guy couldn't throw the ball 35 yards downfield. I mean, the, the throwing motion is so slow. You, I'm surprised he doesn't get picked off four or five times a game with how, tel- with how much he telegraphs. It's that bad. No. But it, everything just looks sloppy with him. It's hard to imagine the Colts wanting him to come back. And then you take a look at what team's going to want him. You know, he may want to play next year, but you got nine kids at home, Phil. Go home. You know, coach him. <laughs> it's time. Yeah, I think arm strength has been a problem for him for a couple of years now. Uh, I mean, he's always had an unconventional style of throwing the ball. So I, I, I'm, I'm with you on I think he is done. I think, you know, he's had a, a Hall of Fame career. There's nothing to be ashamed of there. I think he's come up short in the playoffs a bunch of times, and some of it's his fault, some of it's not. But um, he had a good run. I don't think there's anything that he can re- take back and regret, really, except maybe we're winning. Um but, yeah, I don't think he played bad, but the arm strength is a real concern. The Hail Mary was was not a great look there at the end. And if he doesn't go back to the Colts, I, I kind of agree. I don't really know where he ends up. He's got a head coaching gig already lined up for his uh, high school. He's got plenty of kids. He's got a family. Hey, you're set up for life, my friend. Uh, right off into the sunset. And uh, see you later. All right, uh, moving on to the second game of Saturday, which this game went not at all how I expected, and it is the third installation of the NFC West battle between the Los Angeles Rams and the Seattle Seahawks. And uh, the Rams coming away with this one 30-20 in a game that John Wolford started, didn't even make it out of the first series. In comes Jared Goff, and I mean, Jared Goff I don't think played very well, uh, but he did enough. Tough, tough, he had some toughness. He was in there battling. The fact that he could even throw a football with his thumb problem, I have a ton of respect for that. Um, but to me, this game says a lot about Seattle, more so than the Rams, because the Rams, to me, have a great defense, and they have qualities of a team that can make a, a big run. And before they lost the Jets game, I was talking myself into the Rams. You saw that in this game. They have a great front. They have great defensive secondary. And Seattle had issues all day, and you can start this conversation about Russell Wilson. You know, since the interception in the Super Bowl, he's five and six in the playoffs, hasn't exactly played well in the postseason. To me, this says a lot more about Seattle than LA. But also, credit to the Rams for coming, going into Seattle, and getting a dub here. Yeah, I think it's one of those situations where you see Seattle. Every flaw was on the table, Randy. Every flaw. And we keep on building Seattle up. And I I know we thought they were going to be good. A lot of us had them winning the NFC West, and they did. Um, Maybe it would have been different. Maybe a healthy 49ers team would have exposed them for who they are. I think what I saw was a different team from what I thought it was after that Arizona game, that overtime game where Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray battle out on Sunday Night Football a classic, and Wilson threw, I think it was either three or four interceptions, and neither of them were particularly of the, you know, just a defensive player made a great play. It was more like, Wilson, what the fuck are you throwing at type of throw? And after that game, it seemed like a different Seattle team, and I'm not sure if Russell Wilson deserves to be a nation at this point before after that game, he's been bad. And Seattle, their margin of Russell Wilson being bad and able to win a game is so thin 
that you know you can't even see it. Like he has to be playing his best football for this offense to come away and be productive from their issues with blocking, running the football, and DK Metcalf. And and here's my criticism of DK on this one. I, I think he's a fantastic wide receiver. I think he offers a lot, but he is so slow coming out of his breaks because he has to move all of that mass and try to bend and dig and sink those hips. It's hard for him to do that. So it really makes Russell Wilson have to wait a little bit longer to try to hit DK on those passes. And DK gets frustrated, and you see that chemistry starting to crack. And that's what I worry about with this team. Look, I think uh, Pete Carroll said the best. Uh, you got to run the ball more. I know Russell Wilson's a good, damn good quarterback. I still think he's a top five quarterback in the NFL. But they just completely abandoned the run game and just said, "Hey, Russell, this is all on you. Basically, uh, you can do everything. We're gonna let Russ cook." And obviously, you let Russ cook, and you see some flaws in Russell Wilson. He forces things. Uh, he tries to do too much. Look, every quarterback has a, has a flaw here and there. So I don't. I'm not excusing Russell Wilson for that, but. Uh, you got to run the ball more. You got to have that basic foundation to have play action, to have a rollout, to have the defense move up to create some space for a tight end or a crossing route. Uh, these are just basic things. Like I, I will always say, running backs don't matter, but I will always say, running the ball will always matter <laughs> because you have to have that threat of a, a fat, multi-faceted offense. Corey Richard said in the comments a little while ago that the Seahawks fired offense coordinator Brian Schottenheimer, so that could be a big thing for Seattle moving forward. Get a guy in there who's young. Get a guy in there who's more progressive. Get a guy in there who is better play caller. And see what happens. The Seahawks team is not without talent offensively. Uh, and I think they can have a quick turnaround here. And they seem to be in the playoffs each and every year. And I think they will be back. But the flaws were all on display. Like you said, the defense, uh, pretty shaky all year. They got run all over. Cam Akers had a day yep. for the Rams. He had 131 yards rushing. So, the, I mean, the Rams just pushed them all around offensively and defensively. So, yeah, the Rams are going to move on. They're going to be playing the Green Bay Packers in the divisional round. So, good on them. Good on Sean McVay. It's a big win for McVay, I think, anyway, going in there shorthanded. And uh, for Seattle, and like I said, we're going we're gonna to see them again next year. And, They'll be fine, I think. I will, I'm interested to see who they hired as the offensive coordinator. But overall, not Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson. Okay, that would be interesting. Yeah, that'd be a good fit. Yeah. Uh, okay, we'll see how that goes. Uh, that was the game I did not expect to go the way it did, and uh, was actually one of the games that felt like it dragged forever. I felt like that game literally took five hours of my life. Uh, all right. The last game on Saturday was Tampa Bay traveling to Landover, Maryland to play the Washington football team in the only NFC East representation of these playoffs. They win that game 31-23 to in an eight-point game. Uh, Taylor Heineke kept Washington in the game somehow, uh, but Tom Brady and the talented uh, Tampa offense was a little too much, and I don't really know what to make of this game to me. I feel like this is a typical game for Tampa. They disappear for large parts of the game. Uh, they didn't have... Uh, their their typical running back Leonard Fournette played in this game. He had 93 yards rushing, but Brady 381 yards passing. Mike Evans 119 119 yards receiving, and Antonio Brown coming around. I think it's unfair that this team even has Antonio Brown. But um, taking away, like I don't care about Washington. I don't care that they even kept this game close. They have a good defense. We know. That. If I'm a Bucks, how these receivers and the team reacts to Brady because there's a. Mis- communication between him and Godwin or Godwin drops uh, drops the ball and it's more with Godwin than anyone else Brady 
is chewing him out. And you can just tell Chris Godwin hates Tom Brady. I wonder if the rest of the team has a similar feeling about him, but I can't prove anything like that. But obviously Brady's very demanding. He expects a lot of his team. But uh, if I'm a Tampa fan, I'm also worried about the defense. You let this kid come in who was on a practice squad a month ago, Taylor Heineke, come in, run, make plays, look pretty good all game long, uh, and keep this game a one-score game until the very end. So I'm a little worried if I'm a Bucks fan about my defense. Uh, what are some of the takeaways that you had from this game? Just so much dysfunction on this Tampa Bay team. Like Usually with Washington, we see it in the front office and ownership. With Tampa, we see it on the field. Um, really, the butting of the heads with Bruce Arians and Tom Brady, you see it. When they're not on the same page and Bruce tries to do the things that he wants to do, that offense is stagnant, it doesn't move the football, and they disappear. When Tom Brady is – when Bruce just lets Tom go and gives in to Tom, you start seeing this offense do different things. Now, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but obviously there's a lot of dysfunction there. And my best takeaway is, God dang it, Chase Young is a freaking man. <laughs> this dude, it, it didn't matter where you lined him up at. He was creating havoc. He was there. Um, I, I love watching the kid play, Randy. I This kid is going to be special for so long. Yep. And I, I got to circle back to what you said. The New York football giants lost a game or won a game that had n- n- no bit. No, don't win it. Just don't do it. And um, they won it, and they could have had Chase Young harassing quarterbacks. <sighs> Instead, you know, they, they got to find somebody else. But Washington's in a unique situation here. My takeaway is they, they have to address the secondary. Um, I, I do think they need another quarterback. You, you have to get your franchise quarterback. If this Heineke kid was the real deal, people would have known about it. I, I don't think he's Kurt Warner. I don't think that, you know, he's anything to be, you know, you don't want to go into the season handing, handing him your starting quarterback reins. It, this may work for one game, but for a course of 16, 17 games, he's going to to get killed. Well, I mean, if nothing else, he earned himself a lifetime back of quarterback contract because everyone will that he played mm-hmm. wild card Super Bowl weekend and he'll always be a backup some now. I think he's earned that too. I think there's a lot of quarterbacks out there who are pretty bad who would not have played that well uh, in a playoff game like that. So that's a credit to him. I think he's going to be a serviceable backup. Maybe for Washington. I don't know what they do with quarterback position moving forward. But uh, nonetheless, we Tampa Bay wins. That sets up Tampa Bay and New Orleans in just a bit. All right, moving on to Sunday. Super- Sunday and Super Bowl wildcard weekend continue. Uh, there was a football the night the day before. You got more. First game I was so excited for. I thought it was going to be the game of the weekend. Baltimore at Tennessee. I thought this was going to be a high-powered, high-scoring game. And I thought it was, like, starting off, I thought it was going to be that way. Tennessee jumps out to a 10-0 lead. 
And then Baltimore's defense puts the clamps on them because they bounce back 10-10. Lamar Jackson had a, a insane 50-yard touchdown run before halftime to tie the game. And this game, after allowing those 10 points in the first quarter, the, the Ravens defense only allowed three points the rest of the game. And the Tennessee offense is pretty good, pretty high-powered. Uh, and I just want to get this right. Uh, I want to figure out how many yards they kept Derrick Henry to because uh, he's been a beast this whole season pretty much. So... They obviously their whole game plan was focused on Derrick Henry. Like they they knew this. They they knew what <laughs> the Titans were, and we all knew what the Titans were. And they said we're gonna make uh, Ryan Tannehill beat us. And Ryan Tannehill's been p- pretty good for the last couple years, last two years with them. However, uh, the Ravens knew that if they stacked the box, not let Henry get into a groove, they could win this game and they could shut down the Titans and it worked. They win this game 20 to 13. And if you're looking at head coaching candidates, you look at Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. And he looked at uh, Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans. And coming out of this, Martindale won. You got to be impressed with how he came up with a game plan for the Titans and how the Ravens are now going to advance in Lamar Jackson's first playoff victory. Yeah, I'm, I was impressed with a lot of what I saw from Lamar Jackson. This is the growth that you wanted to see from last year. This is Lamar Jackson I think we all hoped for. When he uses his legs as his primary weapon, he is lethal. He he can go, and he makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Tennessee just has no defense. I mean, there's nothing to this defense that scares me, that makes me worry. You know, I just go through watching this game. And I was, I was really hoping for a, a good game. And I think we got a good game in some aspects of it. But, man, I think with Tennessee, you really have to evaluate, can we win a big-time playoff game with Ryan Tannehill? And I'm talking about, like, beating Kansas City, beating Buffalo, maybe beating Baltimore now. Like, all, all these things have to be questioned. Like, okay, how good are you with this team? Is this a – Super Bowl caliber football team. And if it's not, is Ryan Tannehill the guy that's going to get you there? Because you paid him $100 million plus. You bet you, you have to figure that out. Look, I mean, they went into New England and beat the Patriots last year, and they also did go into Baltimore and beat the Ravens last year. So I think, you know, they are capable of winning those games, but they didn't win those games because of Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill actually played pretty bad in those games. So I think you can question Tannehill himself, but I think this team is capable. I think they have the right coach for it. I just think their defense is so poor this year that it really cost them in this game. And I had my doubts about the Ravens for sure, but their defense really stepped up and helped win this game. Uh, Derrick Henry, 18 carries for 40 yards. He had 2,000 yards rushing on the season and over 200 yards the week before. Hell of a job by them there. Lamar Jackson, I mean, no one really loves Lamar Jackson as a quarterback, but I'll say this. 17 and 24, 179 yards in the air, no touchdowns but a, and a pick. But on the ground, no one does better than him as, at the quarterback position. 16 carries, 136 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, the guy is such a threat with his legs that you have to put so much emphasis on that. And it opens up holes for the other running backs. It opens up lanes for their, you know, the, the tight ends and the receivers. I mean, Lamar Jackson's such a threat that I love that how much attention he draws on his legs. You kind of have to uh, respect that. 
part of the game anyway. And it helped them win this game, obviously. Lamar Jackson is such a playmaker. Uh, and Tennessee has some uh, <laughs> has some uh, answers now. And they have some questions that they have to solve. And it's like, you know, they had the uh, Clowney last year on defense. Or they had him, yeah, and he didn't really do much for them. You need to focus on this draft on the defensive side of the ball because I think your offense is pretty good already. Uh, you need to get healthy on the offensive line. Uh, you had some left tackle injuries. You had some offensive line injuries in general. You get healthy, come back next year with a stronger defense, and I think the Titans will be right back into the thick of things next year. I'm not too worried about Tennessee long term. Yeah, I mean, I, it just goes back to what does the team to believe in? And if you think Ryan Tannehill can make those throws that could win you a big game like a Super Bowl game, beating the Chiefs beating the Bills, you know, and obviously you start surrounding that defense. You put some more resources into that defense, and I, I, I think they have a shot. But I, I still think it's further away from Tennessee. I have a hard time any. I have a hard time seeing anyone, let alone beating the Chiefs. Now you may have to worry about the Dolphins getting Deshaun Watson is going to be scary enough. But then you also have to deal with the Bills and Josh Allen. So Tennessee's got to get closer to the pack before they get further away. Uh, and now we're going to move on to my favorite broadcast of the week, probably my least favorite game of the week, but my favorite broadcast, because I watched this game on Nickelodeon, uh, it is <laughs> your Chicago Bears. Uh, I don't really know what to say about this game, but they lose to the New Orleans Saints 21-9, to and the score is closer than the game actually felt for a long period of time here. Uh, Bears with some self-inflicted wounds had a drop touchdown in the end zone, and we welcome in a uh, life group member and one of the faces of our podcast network on the Total Basis podcast, our old friend Felipe Melicio, uh, in the Midwest, uh, native Bears fan, along with Matt Bushnell. I guess I will just toss this segment to you two. The Mitch Love Fest slash Matt Nagy should have the job for a lifetime, and the Bears are the greatest team ever. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Matt, take it away, Felipe. Uh, actually, I'm, before you take it away, I'm going to ask Felipe, how's it going, my friend? Oh, no, we can't hear you. Where's the audio? <laughs> oh, Felipe, we can't. Oh, I, I, I guess he can't take it away. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, well, Matt, you can take it away. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, yeah. this is where your professionalism nope. comes into play here. I hear oh, him. I think we got something. Oh, finally. Jesus. <sighs> anyway, how's it going? Felipe, welcome to the show. How are you doing, man? Thank you for having me on. Uh, I'm all right. I'm all right. How about yourselves? Better, better, better. Uh, well, I'm uh, sorry about your bears. Uh, yeah, but, you know, you and Matt, you and Matt, I'm sure we'll have the next 10 to 15 to talk about the bears. Matt, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm, so obviously I try to remain as objective as possible because of this podcast now, and it's hard because I want to see them do well, but now I'm just filled with hatred. So I, I want to give a historical perspective. Felipe and I, um, talk for the longest time about this Bears football team. And I remember the John Fox era. And this is kind of what you have to go back to with Ryan Pace, because this is where the defense started to be built. And we heard news today, you know, just about 20 minutes ago that Chuck Pagano retired. So now you look at a Ryan Pace defense that is older. I think their window's closed. They got Cleo Mack. They traded a lot of first-round picks to get him. 
And then he drafted a quarterback. Ryan Pace drafted a quarterback, and John Fox was still the head coach. And, you know, Randy, you and I did a podcast, and I said, you know what, Trubisky isn't that bad. You know, he's very accurate. Boy, you talk about a shit that comes back and bites you in the ass. And Felipe, Felipe was dead set against it. Felipe, tell me why. Because John Fox, you just mentioned it. John Fox is the head coach. Um, Like, this team, just when you thought they're, they're turning the corner, they just keep doing Bears things. And I kept thinking about the past. Uh, I went way back. I, I mean, I, I go all the way back to when Dave Wanstead was not only the head coach, but he was also in charge of player personnel. And having Ryan Pace be forced to pick John Fox, it, it just thinking about it again, took me back to 1993 when uh, it seemed like there's disconnect, there's no coher- cohesion or coherence or no no stability. It's, it, it's, it's a crappy ownership group with a bad general manager, with a bad coach, and underachieving players then. But that, if my thing was, at that time, and we used to argue about it all the time, was if you're going to have John Fox as your head coach, you cannot tra- you cannot draft a quarterback in the first round. You can't do it. You can't. This is the guy who took, who uh, had Jake DeLome take him to the Super Bowl. This is the guy who had Tim Tebow become relevant. You know, he, John Fox is all about the running game. He, he a good job getting Jordan Howard, Ryan Pace, but... No, you got to have an offensive-minded coach, uh, and not even an offensive-minded just a coach who's able to nurture or has shown the ability to nurture young quarterbacks. Which I'm sorry, John Fox isn't that guy. You know, give him a veteran, give him that old crusty veteran, and he'll do something with that. And 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 of course, the big thing was okay. Well, we got you because that's the guy that Ryan Pace wanted, and and then they end up firing John Fox. So that gives what Ryan Pace the second head coach that he gets to hire, and he gets Matt Nagy, who's supposed to be the offensive guru from Kansas City learning under the tutelage of Andy Reid. And it turns out that he's a freaking fraud, too. I mean, he was – to me, he was brought in to do that. Make the offense relevant in Chicago because it's like – it's the same old story here in the Bears land. It's a, it's a capable enough defense. It's just that the offense is not there yet. We – I mean, Matt, we've been singing about that since the Dick Duran years, since the uh, <laughs> Lovey Smith years. It's like every – doesn't matter who's the coach. It's it's that Bears uh, notion that, well, you know, it's, it's all about the running game, the defense, the middle linebackers. And, uh, yeah, we'll eventually get a quarterback. It, it doesn't matter. It's like they, this is like the most ass-backwards team in the NFL. And this year they actually had talent. They had the, a soft schedule. They had uh, regression on their side. You know, the, the, the bad year last year, but this is going to be their bounce back year. And it started out that way. And then everything just came down like a house of cards. And, it, and, and you have to go back and just think about the beginning of like the 2018 was it the 2018 draft or the 2017 sorry 2017 draft and you decided to run and die or to live and die with mitch trubisky i mean kudos to ryan pace for believing and trusting his gut feeling but this just wasn't there man you didn't have the the setup you didn't have the structure to coach up a guy who really needed to be coached up yeah, th- there are so many things. And, you know, they signed Mike Lennon and things were going terrible, you know. And through well, they did that for a reason. They, uh, yeah. they did. I mean, they signed Mike Lennon because he was there to fail, just like Nick Foles was here to fail, just to make Trubisky look good. Now, Nick Foles, you know, that's a favorite to more for like Matt Nagy because they have a history together, and which was a decent, I mean, it's an okay signing. But this whole time, you're not making, you're not doing anything to improve the team in Bushnell. And Hammond, Bushnell Hammond. 
you're not doing anything to improve the team. You're just doing everything to make Trubisky look good. And it, and it's just uh, we we I mean you and Bush and I go way back, all the way back, and we can see it from a mile away that that's exactly what you're trying to do. And that's what the, 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 that's the frustrating part is that it's like the more they want to go forward, the they just can't get they get in their own way sometimes. You know, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt you, man. Yeah, no, it's fine, Felipe. Because I, I think that's a frustration a lot of Bears fans share is. To, let's go full circle. Ryan Pace came from New Orleans. That's why this game had a lot of relevance to me because, all right, did he get closer to the Saints? No, because he said he wanted to develop the Saints culture. He saw what a franchise quarterback was in Drew Brees, and he drafts Mitch Trubisky. Between Brees and Trubisky, one, one year in college, Brees four. Brees started all four years in college. And it goes back to you take the guys that play the games that you have tape on, you know, not this innate athletic ability, but all right, fine. You know, whatever. Bill Orleans culture. Then he gets Matt Nagy. And here's why I say all of them need to be fired. Pace, Nagy, Phillips, Trubisky, everyone needs to go. Nagy took this job. He knew was his quarterback. He willfully took this up with the knowledge that Mitch Trubisky was going to be his project quarterback, and like Felipe said, he was supposed to make him better. And he thought Matt Nagy would make him his Drew Brees. Didn't work. Ryan Pace let go of Leonard Floyd. Did you guys notice Leonard Floyd on Saturday? <laughs> you guys see here? He looked pretty damn good, didn't he? Sure did. And that was so, part of my whole spiel today, uh, Matt, is that the, 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 there's no consistency with Ryan Pace. Like, he'll go and get the like, – the, the high upside guy, right? Which Trubisky kind of falls in the upside guy. But let's face it, the reason that he drafted Trubisky as well was he fell in love with the intangibles that Trubisky gets. He fell in love with his humility. Oh, he drives a beat-up car. He doesn't need no Ferrari or, or Lamborghini. Like, all right, well, that's fine. But if it, do, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, I don't care what car you're driving. Just win the ga- damn game, you know? But, yeah, he'll draft these, like uh, Adam Shaheen, right? Wasn't that the tight end, the 6-7? Yeah, 6-7 tight end or something like that. Long-term project in the second round? <laughs> those first two or three rounds, you're supposed to. You're, you're on a winning team. The window's right now, man. We need reinforcements. We don't need no more projects. No, but he goes after Shaheen, Leonard Floyd, which to this day, they, they don't know whether they want him to add weight, lose weight, uh, what position yeah. he'll play. But the Rams figured it out, apparently. So and it's, it's just so frustrating because, like, he'll go after these long term projects, give up on them, and then he'll go for the safest guys that he can find in the draft and nothing good out of it comes like drafting Jordan Howard and David Montgomery, David Montgomery. Like I tell Matt Bush all the time, David Montgomery is just a Jordan Howard who can catch out of the backfield. But mm-hmm. it's the same up the, up the gut running back that it, he's not dynamic. He's slow. He's plotting. But again, Ryan Pace just getting in his own way. He'll like on one hand, he'll go after those, home run high upside guys. On the other hand, he'll get over those really low floor guys, and it just drives me crazy. Obviously, you guys yeah. have a lot of frustrations. Sorry, Matt, but you guys have a ton of frustrations with the organization dating back to, you know, after the 85 Super Bowl, probably. Uh, but I want to talk <laughs> about this game to me and why I think Matt Nagy is the guy who really needs to get fired here because the Bears in this game were in this game. This was a competitive yeah. football game for a long time, but you have – uh, super conservative play calling at the end of the first half where you just say, I'm not going to give us even a chance to score points here. And you had two minutes and a two-minute warning, and they ran the ball three times and punted. Didn't even try to attempt to pass. You have 
uh, who's CJ Gardner Johnson is a known instigator, and you had a guy get ejected from the game the last time he played the Saints against the, the him, and then <laughs> the receiver Anthony Miller gets himself ejected, punches the guy on Nickelodeon, mind you. Uh, not a great look for you there. Uh, think about the kids for a second. Uh, you have Stephen Wims, I think that's his name, Wims, drop an Jump absolute on. dime from Mitch. Right in his bread basket in the end zone, drops it. And then just the penalties, the the running off sides on third down and fourth down. Like, this to me is Matt Nagy not being a good coach and not having his team prepared to win a football game. And the game that they probably could have won if, say, Wims catches the ball. And if Wims catches the ball, the whole dynamic of the game changes. But there are so many other things the Bears did to beat themselves that are strictly you could put on coaching. I know Mitch is limited, but the coaching, you can coach around bad quarterback play. That's been happening for years. And Nagy, to me, yeah, Nagy, to me, just absolutely put them in a spot to lose this game from the very beginning. And that's why he has to go. All right. I got to jump in right here because this is the shit I've been saying since the offseason. This is why I I thought Nick Foles was good uh, for a, a. good fit for this bear because not trust Trubisky at all. Zero percent. That's why they didn't go after it in the, in, to end the first half. And if you don't trust Trubisky in, in that type of game, why the fuck is he in there? Why are you starting Mitch Trubisky if you're not going to let him go win that? You had nothing else to lose. And if he throws five interceptions, he throws five interceptions. I don't give a damn because I already know that Nagy doesn't want him. And to, to your point, Randy, I'm going to make a comparison, and, and it's not it's not going to be a very – it's not going to make sense to start, but this team is very much like the Cowboys when they switched over from Jimmy Johnson to Bear Switzer. And I say that because the past two years, the only reason this team has been competitive is because of the defense. The offense has always sucked. Matt Nagy came here in that first year – and he inherited Fangio's type of defense with Fangio still there. Yep. When Fangio left, they were running on fumes. It was just a matter of time. That 12 and 4 season was nothing but that defense. Mitch got the ball in favorable positions at every point. Every game you could almost see Mitch get a ball in a favorable spot. But with the game on the line and you got to get those points Nagy has routinely came up small, just like Mitch, just like Nick Foles, the history of this team. Barry Switzer had a Super Bowl-made team by Jimmy Johnson. He took it. The team went on as long as it could, but it fell apart. Fell apart really quickly. That's what this Bears defense was. You know, Vic Fangio gave it to Pagano, and I don't think Pagano's a bad coach, but like Felipe, as you told me, defense regresses. It's, it's just the nature of building a team off of defense. It's not sustainable. You, if you want to build a championship caliber defense to a quarterback issue, that's fine. Do, do what you're going to do. But here's why Ryan Pace gets fired, in my estimation. Your primary job was to fix the quarterback position. You told all of us, I'm to draft a quarterback every year. You guess how many quarterbacks Ryan Pace has drafted in six fucking years? Probably one. One. Was it one? One. And it was the wrong damn guy. <laughs> that's exactly what he said. I'm going to draft a quarterback every year because that's the school of thought that he comes from. You got that 
from Sean Payton or whatever the hell. And to this day, uh, we don't have any quarterback waiting. And now Trubisky's a free agent. And now we're stuck with Nick Foles. And you're probably going to have to draft another quarterback, start over, and or look to see what what's in the trash heap and sign another quarterback to a long-term deal just to get a backup in. Um, I mean that that's just that's just mismanagement on his part, and that's part of the, the problem is that you 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 can't just fire Matt Nagy. They're a package deal at this point. Either got to keep both yep. of them, which I have a bad feeling, Matt and Randy, that knowing how this uh, McCaskey family works, they're gonna find a way to keep them for another two or three years. Just because well, they made the playoffs, so how can you get rid of them? They made the playoffs, and uh, I think uh, yeah, and. Oh, man, it's just so frustrating because, yeah, like Matt said, the, the defense was still good. I, I, I mean, you saw what happens when Akeem Hicks is there. I mean, it, Khalil Mack makes the most money, but I'm sorry, man. When that defense is running on all cylinders, Akeem Hicks is the most important player on that team. We yeah. saw what happened with Akeem Hicks, not just this year, but last year, too. When he gets hurt, the whole team hurts. When he's healthy, yep. the whole team's happy. I mean, I mean, it's no coincidence that he came back and the Bears started winning again. The problem is he's going to be 32 years old next year. Uh, not for long. Not the NFL. Not for long. That's what Jerry Clamble told us. Not for long. This, he's in his. He's going to enter his what year number ten next season. How much longer are you going to depend on that old grizzly veteran to get you uh, going to get that defense motor running? You know, and why does Matt? And why isn't more people talking about Khalil Mack just kind of disappearing on games? Which I don't want to bash the guy too much because I mean he is the best player on defense, no doubt about it. But I mean we he. Uh, he needs to be a superman because this team just needs it. And he didn't – unfortunately, he didn't show up like that. I mean, Matt, maybe I'm wrong, but this year when I saw Khalil Mack, I did not see visions of Von Miller with the Denver Broncos. That's all I wanted. Just If he can just beat Von Miller with the Denver Broncos, this team will be set. It's no coincidence that they ended up the way they ended up. And that, that's going to be my summary on this Bears defense. But, uh, very – two points, what? Yeah, I, I got two things. Okay, and go the first thing is that the Cleo Mack point, you said, you know, he has to be Superman. It may not be fair. You know, I'm just paraphrasing at that point. No, it is fair. You get paid $126 million. You sign the richest defensive contract at that time. You damn well better be Superman. That's 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 my older. expectation. Yeah. yeah. And then my, my next point, and you know what? The, the Bears, I, I, I got a question about the Saints, but – I'm just going to go to the Bears after, you know, real quick. They're going to bring everyone back. They shouldn't. I've I've heard rumblings today that everyone's on tap to get fired. I have a feeling this is going to be spun, and we're going to get the Matt Nagy, Ryan Pace, and Mitch Trubisky trio back for one more time. I, I will bet they all come back. It's going to be dumb as shit, and I'm not going to watch a game of those fuckers only to break down tape. But I can almost guarantee that's what's going to happen. Now my question on the Saints. Was the Bears defense that impressive against the Saints? Or are there bigger issues with the Saints offense? I mean, it has to be a little bit of two, right, Randy? I mean, there has to be the Bears defense. I mean, the Bears defense did show up. But yeah, they also I, showed up the, the first time around. And maybe it's the, the constant thing here is maybe it's the Drew Brees problem, not so much as a Bears defense being that good. Am I wrong in that assessment, Randy? What do you think? Well, I, I think this, the Bears came to play on the defensive side of the ball for sure. I, I think the front line came to play. I think they did a good job on Alvin Kamara for the most part. Um, 
I, I do think the Saints offense has really some issues, and it's mainly at the quarterback position, but they still have enough talent where you should be able to win a game like this handily, and they, they did, really, um, but it was also still competitive. Um, the the Bears' defense, I thought, played really well, and I think the Alvin Kamara aspect of this is where they played well because, I, you know, you saw what Kamara could do against a team like the Vikings who scored six touchdowns in that game. <laughs> He he plays this game as 23 carries for 99 yards and a touchdown. I mean, yeah, he still had 99 yards and a touchdown, but 23 carries, he worked for it. You know, he's not just getting that off of all carries. And he only had two catches for 17 yards. So I think the Bears really did come to play there. Uh, Breeze looks old, 28-39, 265 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, I, I'm not trying to take away anything from the Bears' defense because I, I actually do think they did a pretty good job. Uh, Michael Thomas had 573 and a touchdown in his first game back in a long time. Uh Deontay Harris, I think that's his name. I don't remember if that's his name or not, but he had seven yeah, right. three. I thought, yeah, he had he presented more problems than anyone else. It seemed like to me, and I think that's the speed guy, a guy who can give bears uh, bears the problems on the outside anyway. But for the most part, without Roquan Smith, and we haven't talked about that yet, but he didn't play in this game. The defense actually showed up and kept this a competitive game for quite a while, and they had uh, a goal line stand in which they had to stop the Saints eight t- different times uh, at the end of that game where it was 28-3, to and then they called a touchdown back, but they called a penalty on a, on a running back jump pass, like an old Tim Tebow play, and the Bears yeah. still got the stop on that possession, so <laughs> I give them credit for that. Um, if I was a betting man and I had the Bears minus uh, two and a half, ten and a half, and I was mad if they scored the touchdown at the end and didn't get to go for two, I'd have been pretty upset, but I'm not a betting man, thankfully. But I'm not, I think the Bears defense did a really good job in a, on a, in a Saints offense, especially at home, that is capable of putting up better numbers than they did. Uh, but it does goes to show that if you have a, a good enough defense, you can stop the Saints because they still have limitations on offense as well. Mm. Felipe, before Sorry. you go, my friend, go ahead. predictions for next week. Who, who do you got in your games? Oh, man, I'm not even paying attention. The, the, the Bears are out and meet Paul Felipe and take a break. I'm not, I didn't watch any other games except for this one. When, when that's I, I think I told you, right, Bush, you know, that, hey, I better only be talking about the Bears because I did not watch any games. But yeah. I do want to, you know, since we're talking about it, how awesome was that Nickelodeon telecast? I know Bushnell didn't have, does not have Nickelodeon, he told me. But, that, I mean, that's the only reason I kept watching. It was yeah. awesome. I, I, I'm, I I'm looking it. forward to more of that next year. Yeah, uh, I was going to ask I, I, if you watched it on Nick because it was – it was totally something that like baseball needs. Like baseball blacks out games of their own market for people who can't watch. Like the NFL, like straight up said, you know, not enough young people watch sports. We're gonna try to cater this to young people. Uh, Noah Eagle was on the play by play. Son of Ian Eagle, legendary broadcaster, great guy. Uh, he did an unbelievable job. Nate Burleson was perfect for this. If you didn't get the chance, Nate Burleson was gave it some credibility because he played in the NFL on Good Morning Football, knows his stuff, didn't explain it in a condescending way. I really thought they did a wonderful job there, but had some people on Nickelodeon who I've never heard of because I don't really watch Nickelodeon <laughs> as much anymore. But if you're a teenager and you watch, you know who those people are. I loved it. Like I agree. I could not wait to get more slime in the end zone because I grew up a Nick kid <laughs> and I kept watching. Like, come on, Bears, get in the damn end zone. So, I was- uh, Ready for the Saints? After a while, I was like, "Come on, New Orleans, get in the end zone. I want to see more slime." Because I mean, that's the only that's the only thing I have to look forward to. It's yeah. the only reason I, I kept watching. So I I don't know what the uh, their TV ratings are for that Nickelodeon game, but I hope they did well, and I hope that that ends up being like a, a regular thing. Noah Eagle was a revelation. Uh, yep. He sounded familiar. He looked familiar. And then um, I was thinking, that cannot be Ian Eagle's son, is it? And like, lo and behold, he is. And I found out yep. that he th- at 24 years old, Randy. So. 
you you have a you know you're you're in the broadcast journalism game, right? At yeah, 24 years old, Noah Eagles already broadcasting radio play by play for the LA Clippers is what I found out, which yeah. is just astonishing. But there's a reason. I mean, he clearly that got his nice. genetics, and I'm looking forward <laughs> to hear more from him. Hopefully, in the NFL next year or soon, I should say. Yes, yes. Nepotism is your friend when your dad is a great, great of a broadcaster as he is. But hey, That's he's great. Part. It's not like he wasn't qualified. He he really did a great job. I'm not hating on him. Uh, you know, he didn't sound I want to hear more. Old. Yeah, I yeah, hear I agree. More. Did a great job for sure. Uh, Nickelodeon, well, uh, I, I, SpongeBob Net and everything. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so it was the highest rated game of the weekend, Bears Saints. It outdrew every other game. Um, NFL is airing the game once a day for the rest of this week. So you just got to catch that time. If you have NFL Game Pass, they have two versions. They have the CBS version you can watch or the Nickelodeon version. So the NFL in this game and they said they will bring it back next year. I love it. And then they could put Tom Brady and, the, and Drew Brees on the History Channel coming up this week. And cater to that audience. Yes. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, Felipe, it's time for us to move on. Why don't you plug your podcast before we say goodbye? I will, but uh, lightning round uh, predictions since uh, Matt asked me for it. And the reason I keep calling him Bush now is because if I call him Matt, I get angry because he reminds me too much of Matt Nagy. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Packers, uh, Bills, Chiefs. And Saints. Oh my God, I picked chalk. All right, so there you go. I picked chalk. All the home teams are win next week. You can uh, make fun of me next week when I'm when I'm wrong. But the podcast is the Total Basis Podcast. Sunday mornings with uh, with Sean Flannery Connery. Uh, I just messed up his name on purpose again. Sorry about that, Sean. Um, so we do baseball and baseball accessories. We <laughs> it's mostly about fantasy baseball, but we try to do other uh, you know all sorts of uh, baseball talk. I think we're going to talk about the Hall of Fame again this upcoming Sunday as uh, we have a new member in the Baseball Life Hall of Fame. And if you don't know who it is, find out on Sunday morning before the NFL. All right. What a tease. Quick, Liam Hendricks, uh, sign with the White Sox. What kind of fantasy implications there? Oh, oh, you got to move them up your rankings, man. I, I just did a couple of mock drafts, and, and the closers position is kind of a joke right now. It had me drafting like all these closers so early because there's like it's it's barren because all the all the good ones are free agents and all these teams don't have their uh, their closer spots locked down. Liam Hendricks is going to be the closer for the White Sox, so put him up, put him top three, <laughs> top four, for sure. All right. Well, if you like that from Felipe Melicio, go check that out on Sunday. Total Basis Podcast over in Baseball Life. You guys do a great job. Uh, you want to get your fix before the NFL Sunday starts the the divisional round? Go check those guys out, Felipe. It's been a pleasure every time we get to talk to you. It's been fun, man. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. See you later. All right. Felipe Melicio there coming on to talk some bears. Matt, it's time for us to move on, and it's the segment where I get to kill Ben Roethlisberger because I'm sick of this old man coming in and getting credit and doing never escaping criticism of all kinds. I'm going to kill him in this segment. I do not care. But it is the biggest win as a franchise in 2016 years them unbelievable performance without their head coach without their uh defensive end without their left tackle without a bunch of other players due to COVID 19 uh the browns biggest win in this version of the franchise's history in the 21st century 48 to 37 over the pittsburgh steelers and the very beginning of the game felt eerily similar matt to the beginning of super bowl 48 where the ball was hiked over peyton manning's head against the seattle seahawks the very first snap Yahtzee right over Ben Roethlisberger. Didn't really put 
forth much effort to pick up the ball. The Browns fall in and on, in the end zone, go up seven nothing real quick, and it felt like it was overly for the Steelers, and that it was. <laughs> Uh, it looked like to me, and this is a game that the Browns couldn't even practice for due to COVID-19 complications. It looked like to me the Steelers were a team that didn't practice all week. What an unbelievable game for the Browns and the Steelers and big men. It feels like it's over. Man, I, I tell you what, I think I took a little bit too much joy out of this game because it was nice to see the Browns come up, man. Like everyone just shitting on them all year, Randy. And you and I, you and I said this felt like a playoff team. We said yep. 10 and 6, 11 and 5. We kind of felt that for the team. And kudos. And Corey Richmond, I hope you got to enjoy the game because, man, they exercised some demons in a big, no better feeling than not only beating your arch rival but curb stomping i turned on the game and it was already 28 to nothing and i'm like what the hell happened <laughs> yeah it was 28 to nothing in the first quarter and it was 38 to 7 going I mean, into halftime it was a shellacking, uh, and the Steelers make it interesting in some garbage time, but the Browns win 48-37. to And Big Ben, 47-68, to 500 yards passing, four touchdowns, four picks. Uh, look, uh, garbage time, this is why Blake Bortles is the greatest fantasy quarterback of all time, because the numbers you could put up when the game is out of reach are <laughs> remarkable. And this is where... I'm going to kill Big Ben. And everyone's killing Tomlin. I know Steelers fans who are sick of Tomlin and they're all sick of him and whatever. And that's fine. I understand it. You're frustrated. The Steelers started 11-0. No one really believed in the Steelers. It's fine. Their bye week went from week seven to week four, and they had to play 13 straight games, basically. So uh, this season, I think you're going to use that as an excuse if you're the Steelers. This is why I'm going to kill Big Ben. They lose the Super Bowl to the Green Bay Packers 10 years ago. Since then... They are 3-7 and seven in the postseason. They lost games to Tim Tebow, to Joe Flacco, to Blake Bortles, and now to Baker Mayfield in the postseason. And Big Ben has 32 career uh, postseason touchdown passes, and he has 28 interceptions. That's not going to get the job done, my friend. Too many turnovers. Big Ben has gotten away with poor playoff quarterback play for too long. I'm not letting him get away with it any longer. He won two ranks, was god-awful in the first championship, played really well against the Cardinals, but that's about it. Big Ben has been a guy who comes up small in these big games, always has great receiving core, always has talent around him, always has a great offensive line, and always has a great defense, and he always comes up short, especially in the last 10 years since that Super Bowl against the Packers. To me, time to go, Big Ben. You're as big a problem as anyone here in Pittsburgh. It's time for them to find a new quarterback. I mean, I think Big Ben needs to uh, work on his diet a little bit. <laughs> it, I know where his chest began. And um, it, it was a lot. Big Ben just showing all the warts of an old man's on quarterback that shouldn't garbage time yards. I know Steeler fans love him, and he'll always be happy place in their hearts and in their barroom bathrooms but you know at, at the end of the day it, it's time to move on and I agree with you I mean his legacy is going to be that to me of everything 
being perfect for him and him not reaching multiple Super Bowls. I mean, he should be the one with four or five Super Bowls, not Brady. You know, you continually got mm-hmm. beat by the New England Patriots. Yeah, it's just kind of my, mean, my thought. That and, mm-hmm. and, I mean, they also lost to teams that the Patriots would never lose to. You lose to Tim, Tom, uh, Tim Tebow and the Denver Broncos. You lose to Joe Flacco and the Ravens. I know that's a division rival, so that was a little bit more excusable. You lose to Blake Bortles and the Jacksonville Jaguars. And now you lose to the Cleveland Browns, who you've owned your whole career. So I'm not really – I don't care about this one as much because you really have taken care of business when it comes to the Cleveland Browns. But many people don't believe in the Cleveland Browns. They have not practiced all week. Baker Mayfield, a lot of people don't think Baker Mayfield's very good. And you didn't just lose. You got schlacked. You absolutely got dominated by this team who you didn't even call a rival, who Juju Smith-Schuster before the game said, oh, the Browns is the Browns. You know, we don't really care about the Browns. They're still just the Browns. Well, guess what? You're home, and the Browns are going to play the Chiefs in the divisional round of the playoffs. So maybe you should take them a little bit more seriously next time because the Browns are here, and they're ready to play. And uh, that's all I really have to say. I really needed to get that Big Ben ran out of my head. I, if you're a Steelers fan and you want to fire Mike Tomlin, I just want to put this into perspective. I know the playoff failures have been there, but you're in the playoffs each and every year. You can complain about a 3-7 and seven record in the playoffs in the last 10 years. The Giants have had one playoff game since Super Bowl 46. They've 0-1 in that one playoff game. They've had one winning season since then. I'm not saying it's the Giants man is the worst thing. There are plenty of fan bases who haven't even had a winning record in that span. Uh, your own, like the Cincinnati Bengals are in your own division, never won a Super Bowl. I mean, there are other fan bases who are much more worse off than you are. I would not be complaining if you're a Steelers fan. You're in there every year. You have a chance to win every single year. This year, your season fell apart when you lost Bud Dupree. You lost Devin Bush. You get those guys back. Your defense is still damn good. Maybe get an improvement at the quarterback position and see where it goes. Yeah. I mean, I don't have much to say you know i think the browns exercises a very much needed demon yep. and you know good for the browns a new era in cleveland randy a new era in <laughs> cleveland i love it so i mean we've we've taken a while on the show to get to this point but we're here the divisional round is now here we're going to just go through this a little quicker i think because we've already talked about all those games so the first game is saturday 4 30 uh rams at packers uh, you know, you have an L.A. team traveling to place a team in Wisconsin. I don't love that, but you still don't know who's going to play quarterback, whether it's John Walford or Jared Goff. Going against the, the favorite for the MVP and Aaron Rodgers, uh, the Rams defense, uh, in theory, should be able to keep them in this game. But I don't love that warm-weather California team traveling to Green Bay in January. It, it's a terrible matchup for the Rams on this one, I think. Yeah, a lot of people will cite Cam Akers, you know, run Cam Akers. But the issue when you face Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers is that Aaron Rodgers makes decisions lickety-split. And I get Aaron Donald's great, but unless he's lining up outside where they, you know, David Bakhtiari hurt, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know, man. The Packers are built for this. I, Aaron Rodgers can put up 28 points in a blink of an eye. I think it'll be a good matchup, but I'm, it's the Packers for me. You know, I, I'll take the Packers 24 to the Rams ton. I mean, we also should point out that Aaron Donald got hurt in that game. Uh, I think he's, they said he's fine. I think there was a potential rib issue, but it, you know, it looks like he is practicing and he's expected to play. 
he does have a rib injury, but uh, McVay says he is expected to play. Uh, but yeah, uh, the Packers fought so hard to the very end to get this home field advantage, and I think this is why you get a team like the Rams, who are capable and are pretty good, uh, which I love the Rams until that Jets game. To me, that Jets game shows me that they can be exposed and they can totally just uh, have lapses on offense, especially that um, – as good as their defense is, and it is a really good defense, and I love the the uh, Jalen Ramsey Devontae Adams matchup. That's one I'm really looking forward to this weekend. It's the best corner in the league against the best receiver in the league. Um, to me, the Rams don't have enough offensively to keep up with the the Packers. I don't know what the weather's like, but Rodgers at home in the cold. I love him. I love this matchup. I think the the Packers can run all over uh, with with Aaron Jones. I think they'll be fine in that aspect. Uh, but Rodgers is really the key here. Is Aaron Donald going to be healthy enough and with Leonard Floyd to really affect him to the point where he can't make plays? I don't know. I mean, obviously those guys are very – they obviously affected Russell Wilson quite a bit. And the Packers always have this soft mantra label to them. But when you're when you're a California team – and you play all your games in the warmth and SoFi and all this stuff, and you go and it's negative five degrees in Lambeau, a lot of that stuff is not the same. So to me, this is where home field advantage plays a huge role, and I know there's no fans, but this is the Fox game, 430. You, you pick Green Bay. I'm also going to go Green Bay here. I don't. Did you give a score, Matt? Yeah, 24. Okay. I'm also going to go Green Bay. Uh, I'm going to say Packers 27 to the Rams 20. And I do think it's a one-score game, but ultimately I think Green Bay is too good at this point. All right, the other game, Saturday night, and this is, uh, you know, Western New York. Uh, fans in the building once again at, in Buffalo. Uh, Baltimore at Buffalo. You have Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen coming off of their very first playoff victories. And... Uh, this is a battle of the 2018 quarterbacks. I mean, those two guys were both taken in that same draft, probably the two best quarterbacks from that draft. I don't know. You could, could say Baker could be a best quarterback from that draft. But regardless, you have an MVP in Lamar Jackson, the MVP candidate in Josh Allen. Uh, I love this matchup. And this is the th problem with the Bills. I think the Bills wanted the Steelers in the worst way. I think they knew they could beat Pittsburgh. They already beat Pittsburgh. I think the Ravens prevent, present problems for them that they not not to say they weren't prepared for because they still have time to prepare for them. But problems they don't they're not ready for. I just think that the the Ravens going to give them some problems, and I don't know if they're going to be able to handle it. The Bills can't stop the run going against a team that runs the football better than every other team in the NFL. I can't imagine what could go wrong in this game for the Bills. You know, the Ravens' defense is good. It's good. And I think it's good because there's a lot of talent there. They do have talent, but they are good yeah. because they're mean. Like, these guys will hate you. They'll punch you in the mouth. Kalias Campbell, Patrick Queen. I, I love what those guys present. Um, God, I forget. Nagaku, the defensive one they got Nagakwe. from the Vikings. Mm -hmm. Nagakwe. Matt so, Judon is no slouch either. I mean, Marcus Peters is nasty corner. Yeah, and, and they're going to a lot of shit. So, you know, it's another one of those teams like C.J. Gardner, John. I mean, he, he, they're going to be in your ears. They're going to be chirping, especially uh, Marcus Peters. He's no stranger to that, and he's going to push a lot of buttons. To, to me, this is the worst matchup on the slate for the Bills. Like, if you could have asked them, who do you want week two? You know, the Ravens would have been last on that out of possible matchups because it, it is going real bad for them. If 
figure out how to clog those run lanes. They are undisciplined in gap control. Their linebackers do not tackle very well, and they're a little sized. And their secondary is just, yeah, the, the, those boys ain't making those plays. So to me, the uh, the advantage, the disparity between between these two teams, Randy, is greater on the offensive of the Ravens and the defensive Bills than it is for the offense of the Bills versus the defense of the Ravens. And I, I'm going to make my prediction right now just to get it off the books. I'm going to take the Ravens 31 to the Bills 29. Ooh, okay. I mean, look, this game has all the making to be a classic, right? I think the, the running aspect of it is important because the Colts – uh, are a good running team. I don't think they're a great running team, but they kind of just randomly would just go on chunk runs of 20-plus or more in the second half of that game, and that's what kept them into that game against Buffalo. So you're telling me that Lamar and J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards aren't going to be able to just have their way with that Buffalo defense? I kind of think they are going to have their way. And this is what I like. I mean, the Colts' defense is good, but I think Baltimore's defense is kind of nasty, and I think they have the swagger about them where they're like, ooh, Josh Allen can make some mistakes if he, we bite him, bait him into them. I think that they are ready for that. I think Marcus Peters is a playmaker. I think they have other playmakers on the defense that are going to rise to the challenge and say, hey, you know, remember Derrick Henry when he rushed for 2,000 yards on the season? Remember how he was a tractor seato and the Titans couldn't be stopped? Well, they're probably saying the same thing about Josh Allen. You know, hey, this guy's supposed to be an MVP candidate, right? This guy had the, the greatest improvement season that we've ever seen at the quarterback position. Let's show him why. Let's let's show the world why he was suspect to begin with. So, uh, if you're a Bills fan, I'd be a little worried about this matchup. Uh, I am totally worried about this matchup for Buffalo, and that's why I'm going to also pick the Baltimore Ravens. But I'm going to say it's more of a defensive matchup because I don't think the Ravens are an offense that can light it up as much per se. But I think their defense is capable of locking down an offense quite like Buffalo's. So I will say Baltimore 24 to the Bills. 21 and it's a one score game still because i think the bills are super talented but i think baltimore gets the job done in an upset fashion all right moving on here matt uh to the next game which which is actually sunday now we're moving on to here uh and it is the cleveland browns the to the five seed or the six seed actually <laughs> taking on the kansas city chiefs the one seed and i gotta be honest with you matt i don't think i've seen the chiefs in like a month, it feels like forever since we've seen the Chiefs. Uh, I mean, the last week of the season, we get Chad Henney, I think it was, uh, playing quarterback for them. Uh, but regardless, the Chiefs, uh, this version of the Chiefs, I feel like haven't, hasn't played in forever. And I think that can be dangerous. We saw that quite a bit with Peyton Manning's Indianapolis Colts where they rested guys in the last week of the season, then they have the bye week, and then they come out rusty. Are there any concerns for you there with the Chiefs? Uh I do see rust being maybe a slight issue early for this team. But, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Last year, the Chiefs, you know, what, they got down 28 to 3. Down 24 nothing to the Texans. Yeah, and, and we all know how that game turned out. So, yeah. I, I, I do like the Browns' defense, but I don't like the Browns' defense that much to, you know, <laughs> present anything different than what the Houston Texans instead the chiefs the, the issue when you go against it is really it's a matter of picking your poisons and both poisons are super elite so if you're gonna let patrick move apart he's gonna destroy you if you let the chiefs run against you they're gonna run for 200 yards so you know and we're not even talking about the defense you know 
Baker Mayfield had the benefit of not playing Steelers defense with Bud Dupree being out, and I think that made a, a big issue. I'm going to say at the end of the day, what happens in this game is going to be totally dependent on Baker Mayfield, and I do not trust Baker Mayfield in these spots. Not with Chris Johnson, not with Tyron Matthew, with Fuller. Oh, I'm sorry, I got the wrong Fuller. I don't think Kendall Fuller plays for them any longer. But um, th- th- there's just too many issues that present for the Browns to overcome this Chiefs defense. And therefore, I am going with the Chiefs 37 to the Browns 20. So the Chiefs defense, I mean, it's good. I don't know if it's great. I think they have a lot of uh, games where they allow a ton of points. And I think it's capable, uh, the Browns are capable of being one of those teams that put up a ton of points. You have a two-headed running back monster, and we've talked about it. Like, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt on the same team almost feels unfair. And the way they run with them and they scheme with them and use them in the pass game, those guys are such playmakers that it makes the offensive line better. It makes Baker Mayfield better. It makes Jarvis Landry and Rashard Higgins and Donovan Peoples-Jones and the rest of the offense better. Uh, to me, I love – like I think that if the Browns played this right, and I think Kevin Stefanski is a smart enough guy, and he will be back for this game. He's not going to coach from his – he's not going to watch from his basement again. Uh, if you played ball control and you were able to keep your defense off the field and making the Chiefs feel rusty longer than they should, like if you're the Chiefs, you start with the ball, you maybe you go three and out or you get for one first down, have to punt. But the Browns hold the ball until more than halfway into the second quarter. Like you could continue to be rusty into the second half at that point. The Browns have swagger to me. They have momentum to me. They're coming off of a high of the biggest win in franchise history. I'm going to say the franchise history, although I mean the Browns have a rich history going back, but the biggest win in franchise history this century. Um, I think this the Browns are going to get up for this game and say, I know the Chiefs are great. I know that the Chiefs are the reigning champions and they're the favorites in this game. But I'm just not going to lay down and just let them dominate us like they dominated the Texans last year. I think this game is going to be very close. And I'm not going to pick the Browns to win, but I'm going to pick them to be in this game to the end here. And I'm going to say Chiefs 31, Browns 27. And Corey Richmond, you're right. Anything is possible when you play football. And I know, I don't think, I've said all year, I don't think anyone could beat the Chiefs. But I kind of think the Browns could do it if they played the perfect game. Because there's something to be said about not playing for three weeks. There's something to be said about too much rest. And the Colts did that so many times. And I know you said they got down and they came back quickly and all this stuff. Uh, it could go very poorly for the Browns. The Baker could have a couple turnovers and then it could snowball and it could be over with. But if the Browns played a perfect game, I could see it. And I don't know if it's, it's possible, but uh, I'm actually really excited for this game. I think this is going to be a great matchup. Uh, you know, Baker being the number one overall pick and Mahomes being a first rounder the year before. Uh, I love this quarterback. And the matchups in the AFC are all young guys. It's all Josh Allen, uh, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, and Baker Mayfield. Baker's the oldest quarterback of the bunch. That's unbelievable. He's only 25 years old, and he's the oldest quarterback remaining in the AFC. So it happens when you get Tom Brady out of our lives, too. Which, not the case, because the final game on Sunday uh, is the oldest quarterback matchup ever. There's never been a matchup of a quarterback who's 43 years old and 42 years old and uh, Tom Brady and Drew Brees. But that's where we are in the Tampa Bay-New Orleans matchup, uh, 640 on Fox on Sunday. 
This is the third matchup between these two teams, and it, Saints dominated them both times early. Everyone says, oh, well, you can't, it's not easy to beat a team three times, but as our friend Kay Adams, I'm not calling her my friend as if I ever met her, but my, uh, I love watching Kay Adams on Good Morning Football on NFL Network, says that the team wins that third game more often than not, especially in the last 10 years. Yeah, I, I, I have a feeling, and I'm going to go on a limb here, that I, I did label this the Grandpa Bowl. <laughs> I like the I, I like the Bucks. I, I don't know why. I can't explain it. But there's something about this Buccaneers offense. And I don't love Drew Brees, but I also don't love the Bucks defense. But to me, it's just like if Arians just lets Brady go, j- just let him go, swallow your pride, eat shit, whatever you need to do, that this Bucks offense can create a lot of problems and Brady not have to play outside and getting to play in that controlled environment in new Orleans with limited fans. I, 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 there's no logical reason why I should pick the bucks here, but I'm picking the damn bucks. I'm going to take the bucks 23 to the 20. Look, I'm kind of with you. I predicted the bucks to make the super bowl before the season started. And I think I'm going to continue with that trend here Um, because the saints really benefited from playing a team that's super limited offensively in the bears. Uh, The the bucks aren't going to tell Tom Brady not to take chances downfield. I think there are so many chances the bears could have had downfield that they let Mitch keep trying. Brady is obviously going to do whatever he wants. He's going to let Mike Evans throw the ball to Mike Evans. He's going to throw the ball to Chris Godwin. He's going to throw the ball to Antonio Brown, who's their third receiver, which is crazy because he's still so good. Uh, and Gronk plays pretty well. And Cameron Brake can still catch touchdowns. Stevie Miller is like going to be a number two for someone, and he's just out there as like their fifth option, which is crazy. Uh, but to me, the Bucks are so talented, and the defense didn't play well against Washington, and I think part of that is there's no tape on Taylor Heineke. And Taylor Heineke made some plays with his legs. Drew Brees is not going to roll out to his left, run 20 yards, and dive and cross the pylon with the football. It's just not going to happen. Like, Taylor Heineke made an unbelievable play to score a touchdown against the Bucks defense. Drew Brees is not even going to run for a yard in this game. I, it's just not going to happen. So the Bucks can pin their ears back, and they can rush the quarterback, um, and they can cover Michael Thomas, and they can stack the box against Alan Kamara. And I think the Saints fear – like the fearfulness of the Saints is like, if I'm a Saints fan, <clears throat> Brees looks like a shot fighter. His arm is shot. Uh the arm looks like my arm. You know, I can throw the ball 40 yards in the air, but there's no zip on it. <laughs> I, I have to get it pretty high into the air, you know? Like, I, I've never played professional football, so it's bad that Drew Brees' arm resembles my arm. So, to me, I, I just feel better about the Bucks at this point. Brady's arm looks more lively. He looks better uh, at this point than Drew Brees does. I could be totally wrong. The Saints have the Bucks number this year for some reason, uh, but I think the Bucks find a way to win this third game. And the Dome with no fans is much different than the Dome with fans. Uh, the Bucks to me, just I, I have a better feeling about them. I have no other explanation than that. I think they're more talented. Uh, and I think Brady is on a mission. So uh, I know people hate Tom Brady, but I think he is uh, a psychopath in that aspect. Guy wins. So I'm going to go Bucks 27, the Saints 23. Uh, and then <clears throat> they'll have a date with uh, Green Bay and Lambeau, which would be great too. All right, so that's the show, Matt. Uh, I mean, we finally made it to the end. It feels like forever the show because of the technical difficulties and everything. Made it. Uh, <laughs> I can't. I still can't believe that's the oldest quarterback 
perfect matchup ever, but a combined age of 85, whatever. Uh, but, yeah, you know, we're not that old. We're, we're young whippersnappers in this game, this podcast game here, kind of. Uh, but <laughs> we, had, we had Felipe, our friend Felipe Melissa on talking about the Total Basis podcast on Sundays. But we have so many other shows that we offer here on our, our Life Group umbrella. Why don't you tell us about some of them? Yes, so coming up on Wednesday, we have The Step Back with Leon Tompkins and Jacob Anthony Moses. Love the basketball breakdown. NBA kind of at a crossroads, so they will have the latest information on how many games are going to get played. You may not be able to defend that uh, championship, Lakers. Better get your COVID situation under control. Then Thursday, we have the Work Shoot podcast with Corey... (coughs) Richmond absolutely love that podcast. Um, can't say we do have our total basis podcast with Felipe and John Connor Flannery, as Felipe family calls him. Monday, I don't know if Dong City's gonna go. I know they did a mer- like you know, they this week because Francisco Lindor got traded to the New York Mets, but they missed the biggest news out of this whole winter with Liam Hendricks going to the White Sox. So maybe they'll come back for a special episode on how great the White Sox are going to be this year. And then we're back. We're back. On Tuesday, the Audible, Grammy-nominated, Oscar-nominated, Emmy-nominated, Quarter of the Year in Randy Hammond nominated by, I mean, Randy may win Time Person Magazine of the Year. <laughs> yeah, we do not have a throw case yet. We need one. We need one. Yes, yeah, so I, I tie the show makes me tie Henry Maldonado Jr. with two episodes in the books with COVID nineteen. So I, I, set, I tie the record there. I think at most you can do is two, basically. Uh, my quarantine's lifted Thursday, so unfortunately there's not an opportunity for me to do three shows with COVID nineteen. So uh, <laughs> uh, this, well, my flu games back to back got these done and out of the way here. Thankfully, I am healthy. My fiance is healthy, so uh, been a been a rough time here, but we making it making it through. So uh, thank again, thanks again for. Felipe for joining us. It was a great time talking to him as always. Matt, it was great talking to you once again. You missed you last week, but Henry did such a great job filling in for you, I thought. Uh, we'll have to have him on again as well. And we'll have to have Corey on too if the Browns continue this magical run that they're on too. So uh, stay tuned for us. I mean, this is NFL playoffs. We're right in the middle of it now. We're down to the Elite Eight. Uh, we're finally here and uh, getting good in the playoffs. So enjoy this weekend. Enjoy all the games. Uh, thanks for supporting us, whether it's Facebook Live, YouTube Live, any of the audio platforms, uh, wherever you are listening to us, however you are listening to us. Thank you, thank you, thank you for making us a part of your day. I'm Randy.